0: I'm Scott. I'm Bill. And And we're we're the the Trade Guys. Guys. You're listening to The Trade Guys, a podcast produced by CSIS, where we talk about trade in terms that everyone can understand. I'm H. Andrew Schwartz, and I'm here with Scott Miller and Bill Reinch, the CSIS Trade Guys. On this next episode of The Trade Guys, the Trade Guys are back together in the podcast studio in person. We'll talk WTO will talk food insecurity and the U.S.-Kenya Free Trade Agreement, all on this next episode of The Trade Guys. Gentlemen, we are back in the same podcast studio for the first time in, I think, it's two and a half years?
1: At least. March
0: 2020, yes. There you go. Well, it is good to have us all back together. Scott, it is great to see you in Washington. Bill, it is great to see you in the piggly wiggly tie-dye that Scott bought for both of you and me. Mine is in the wash because I worked out Uh, in it the other day.
1: Excuses, excuses. I'm the only
0: one brave enough to wear it. I didn't really think you were going to bust it out. It looks great. Hey,
2: Bill is definitely making a fashion statement here. Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) I mean, this is is quite something, listeners. Um, Maybe we'll tweet out a photo. But we're here to talk trade, as always. And there's a lot going on at the WTO. It's the MC12, which is the the 12th ministerial, right, of the, yes. of the of the World Trade Organization. And it's wrapping up right now. We're talking on Thursday, 3 o'clock in the afternoon Eastern Time. And the word is, is that major members of the WTO reached an initial deal today, Thursday, winning over India, which had said it was confident more global accords could be achieved as negotiations on fishing, vaccines, and food security entered into the final stretch here. Bill, Scott, what do you think's going on?
1: Well, we'll have to pick up all the pieces tomorrow. The Indians made this statement that was strange in the sense it's like they're having messed everything up for the entire week and ground the proceedings practically to a halt. They are now taking credit for what happened, which is... Good example of hypocrisy. but That's an old trick in the playbook, isn't it, Scott? <laughs> Indeed. As he is um,
2: going into extra innings like they have been now. They so. always yeah. go into extra and innings. Always, they always, it never ends on time. And it's usually good news <laughs> when they add a day or run very late in the evening. And
1: the Indian tactic is always the same. Hold everything hostage until they get what they want. And then uh, sometimes that's just what happens and it all falls apart. This time it looks like they bent a little bit. It sounds like they're going to be able to extend the e-commerce moratorium, which I'm annoyed because USGR really gave that away last year and lost our leverage. But But it was a U.S. priority and certainly a priority. It was a U.S. priority, but we let the Indians get away without extending it last year. True. I mean, normally these things, there's two moratoriums and they normally get extended in tandem because there's one that we like and the Indians don't, which is the moratorium on taxing the internet. And there's one that the Indians like, the U.S. doesn't, which is the moratorium on bringing what are called non-violation complaints on intellectual property against other countries where you allege that the other country has done something that denies you benefits, but you don't allege a specific provision of the rules that they broke. It's called a non-violation agreement. That's very important for India. These always get extended in tandem because each side threatens to veto the other one. Last year, USTR, I think, made a huge mistake. They allowed the Indian one to get extended and not the American one. So that meant they had to scramble this week to try to get the American one on e-commerce extended. This was like issue number one for the American business community, because the alternative is to tell countries it's okay to tax Google, it's okay to tax Facebook, it's okay to tax things you buy. And getting that moratorium extended was, I think, job one. It appears that that succeeded. It appears they've got a small fisheries agreement. They took out most of the subsidy stuff, but left some of the other stuff.
2: Yes, but there is an agreement. If this holds, they're working on fishery subsidies, which Mm -hmm. is good. There are a lot of carve-outs. We'll have to read the text to see what's going on. Yeah, I
1: think they threw out most of the discipline on subsidies that contribute to illegal, unreported, or unregulated fishing, as opposed to subsidies that are in direct support of them. That's going to be a huge loophole in the treaty. The issue, which will get lost as they pat each other on the back for producing something, you know, is that it was over how do you treat developing countries? And that issue is usually about how long do we have to comply? And everybody was talking about seven years, except for India, which wanted 25 years. So they're not even on the same planet as everybody else. But that all went out. So we're going to have a small agreement that will focus on Other elements, including, I think, transparency reporting and some direct subsidies. This is all good, but it's not great. No, you're
2: you're right. Look, this is progress. But the problem with a tiny amount of progress is this is one of these global commons issues that everyone agrees is a real problem. You don't have to get into a debate about earth temperatures. Okay, to realize that we have the technology to basically empty every fish out of the ocean yeah, we sure at are. any time. And that's a bad thing if you like. Terrible it's thing. It's a bad thing for global calories and too many people depend on it. So it's, a, it's, a, it's the- Bad om- thing for our friends, the fish. That's for sure. The fish, the fish- I felt very
0: guilty eating my tilapia last night. Yeah. That's probably farm raised though, so you're probably okay.
1: I didn't ask. Yes. But-
0: <laughs> I didn't <laughs> ask the tilapia. I'm going rock fishing this weekend in the bay-
1: Oh, So yeah. now, oh. now this is really Shame making me feel
0: guilty. This is getting personal. But, yeah, but, yeah. In any
2: case, but <laughs> the thing is, you are going fishing in the bay. You're not going out with a trawler with uh, right. with these array of nets that can catch large lines, destroy schools of fish. Yeah. I, this is a tangible problem. Everyone agrees. Overfishing is a real problem. And yet we can't make much progress on this. It seems bizarre. And it dims hope for future global commons problems like climate change. My hope all along is we'd be able to do fish, and fish would be a model for something on climate change, which we say we want to do, but there's no success model out there. Maybe we should get t-shirts printed up that say, do fish first.
1: Yeah. Fine by me. Oh, man. You, de- you should not feel guilty. You're, you are what is known as an artisanal fisherman. Yeah. Right. So you've got a line, right, and a hook. Right. So we're not worried worried about (laughs) that. That's (laughs) a nice
0: way of saying a hillbilly and his family out on the boat in the bay try to trawl for
2: rockfish. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, well, there are different methods, different methods. <laughs> I remember fishing in my grandfather's farm pond. They were bluegill, which were not nearly as good as rockfish. But we knew they were fish in the pond because my dad tossed his Marlboro cigarette butt in and the bluegills. And Everybody came up. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. That that must have been a sight. <laughs> yeah, well, that was our artisanal ta- our fishing as well. <laughs> it's not
1: good for their diet, No,
2: but but they were bluegills. So
1: So when you caught one and cooked them, did it taste like tobacco? <laughs>
2: They had a small tobacco intake. I hate to disappoint you but we didn't catch any. (laughs) There you go. Well, so was there anything
0: that surprised you
1: guys at this MC-12? I'll tell you what surprised me. Ambassador Ty left this morning before this all happened. Right. She left at 9 o'clock this morning and turned it over to our ambassador there, Maria Pagan. There was no explanation why, and I don't understand it. I mean, usually, particularly if you want to lead... You know, you stay there to the bitter end. Uh, and, and all your peers are there. Yeah, your peers are well. The Chinese left too. So Maybe not, that's
2: why she left.
1: Apparently, they never met. That was another issue that she and the Chinese minister never met, which was a little bit unexpected. The Chinese also declined to meet with the Australian trade minister, which is a little bit unusual because there's a new Australian government that is trying to reset the trade relationship which has been bitter for the last couple of years, but the Chinese didn't meet with him and he and Ambassador Tai didn't meet. She left. If you're trying to project an image, first of all, of commitment to the organization and determination to accomplish something, you usually want to stay till the end. I'm a little surprised.
2: It's good to see something other than a total failure because World Trade Organization has always had potential. It's been the least ineffective global organization. They get things done in the breach. And so I'm glad they didn't fail completely, but look, there are big problems out there. Mm -hmm. There are big problems in agriculture and erecting trade barriers in agriculture will hurt more people than it helps. There are big problems in industrial goods because through the pandemic, lots of exceptions, lots of export bans, those kinds of things, the system is not working as well as it should. So while a small deal is better than not getting anything done, the list of things that need to get done is much larger.
0: Especially when we're having global grain problems and food problems. we a lot
2: of food shortages, and, and we're reacting to them with the tools that will make the shortages worse.
0: So this is clearly not exactly a huge victory for the WTO. What comes next?
1: Well, they are going to adopt a work program on reform, which means the appellate body and all these things that have been debated before. One of the things I think that hasn't happened yet is to set the date and time of Ministerial 13, which is the next one. The Brazilians have been pursuing a proposal to do these things every year instead of every other year, which the U.S. endorsed. And I think uh, Dr. Angozi, the Director General, said that she was okay with that, too. So we'll see. That would put everything on a faster track, you know, if they are going to have annual ministerials. It'll speed up the process. But I think the work program for the next one will be... WTO reform, it will probably be trying to get the fish stuff that they didn't get this time and finishing off the e-commerce plurilateral agreement, which kind of got pushed to the side now and nobody expected it to be finished and it wasn't. But also, I'm not sure how much they did this time on agriculture. There were a number of agriculture provisions uh, in play and we don't have any news yet on whether any of them survived part of it is driven by the war and the food crisis you know one of them was a commitment not to impose export restrictions right. on food another one was commitment not to restrict exports to the world food program which is the program that supplies food aid to countries where people are starving india was a holdout on both of those incidentally and we just don't know as of this conversation if those got through or not so while we're talking about
0: food 49 million people face famine as the conflict in Ukraine and climate change intensify, let me just ask in general, how can trade policy really
2: help avert catastrophe in terms of global hunger? The uh, farm trade is, still faces relatively high barriers. So liberalizing farm trade would reduce the cost and ease the ability for farmers to respond to markets and for the products to arrive in a condition and at a price that is better for more people. Economists would call that increasing the welfare, pushing out the welfare curve of uh, a product. Free trade tends to lower prices and increase selection. And it does that almost without regard to the commodity. But that's something we could use in agricultural products. In addition, the farm programs in some countries tend to include things that are quite negative for trade, like, uh, like export bans. There's a lot of hoarding that goes on in situations where people panic about having enough calories in their own country. Right. India
0: is a great example. India is an example
2: of restricting output and disciplines on those kinds of measures because they're highly disruptive to normal commerce. It's a global problem that requires a lot of parties who are involved to say we're we're all going to behave. And that's the best thing we could do at the moment. It's the best short term thing for a, a problem that is some, in some cases, weather related, in some cases, conflict related. But it's a problem nonetheless.
0: Doesn't the global community have any sets of rules to prevent the type of food restrictions that you know, India has been restricting, as you said, Scott,
2: exports in recent months? Oh, well, not really. And that's part of the problem. If we were talking about industrial goods, the WTO long ago, I think in 1994, agreed to an, basically an outright restriction, a ban on export restrictions. So you couldn't put an export ban on, a, on an industrial product. Mm -hmm. You can put one on an agricultural product. So in many ways, the market access rules in agriculture are some ways behind market access rules for goods. So there's a ways to go. There have been some ideas about catching up that haven't materialized.
0: Let's talk about fertilizer for a second. How do governments reconcile their sanctions policies against Russia with the need to fortify the global food system?
1: Well, they don't even try, I don't think. They're trying to encourage more fertilizer exports from Russia without acknowledging that they're doing that and without acknowledging that what the impact is on sanctions. I mean, it's one of the compromises you make when you face these issues, you know?
2: Not to mention it takes massive amounts of hydrocarbon to manufacture fertilizers, at least modern fertilizers. And hydrocarbons are awfully expensive these days. I don't know if you've gas lately. Oh, I have. And uh, natural gas prices are up about 70% in Europe. Versus a year ago, $100
0: to fill up my tank the other day.
2: Yeah, no. So so that that's the that's the map that's facing your, the farmers as well. So the, the fertilizers and all their inputs that require hydrocarbons to make them or to move them are more expensive. It's more expensive to run a tractor because diesel's seven dollars a gallon. Yeah. Okay. It's more expensive to get the crop to market. Right. Okay, so the whole thing gets filtered through. So there's, it's, a, it's a multifaceted problem. Energy is probably the biggest driver of it, but there's not a global agreement on energy that anybody knows about. So we are stuck for a moment with high prices that exacerbate the problems in farming.
0: Well, and you see it when you go to a restaurant these days, too. Some of these restaurants you know, that we go to, you know, the prices have doubled in
2: some cases. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. Can't believe it. Yeah, people are spending a lot more of their disposable income at the grocery store, just feeding their family. Oh, yeah. Spending at the pump, filling up their vehicle to get to work.
1: If if it'll make you feel better, I gather that Popeye's is celebrating its 50th anniversary and is selling chicken for what it sold it for 50 years ago. That makes me feel a lot better. 59 cents, as I recall. 59 cents? For two pieces of chicken, I think. So there you go, Only
0: from a company born in the Big
1: Easy. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Yes. Popeyes oh, from New Orleans. It's a Louisiana product.
0: Yes. Yeah. New Orleans Al sugar. Copeland, the, the great Al Copeland.
1: That explains why they have beans and rice and all those other stuff. Yes. Red, Red beans there, and rice. It. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah that's, it's good Louisiana food. Yeah.
0: And you got to get hip to this. It's, it's, it's Louisiana food done fast, but you got to
1: eat it slow. <laughs> there you I have, have it. it. We are regular customers. But we've not been back since they cut the price to what it was 50 years ago. I don't know how long that's going to last. Probably not very long. You know, people in New Orleans, even people in New Orleans, love
0: Popeye's, certainly Popeye's chicken, but really love Popeye's red beans and rice. Popeye's red beans and rice is an institution. Really? Oh, yeah.
2: Well, I was uh, on the marketing team uh, for Tide Laundry Detergent at the 50th anniversary of the introduction of Tide. Mm. Okay. And we did the math on selling Tide for its introductory price, this 1947 price.
0: Because it was like 10 cents? So yes. Oh, yeah, We man. did the
2: math and looked at it and got scared. Yeah. And, <laughs> and <moved laughs> not going to work. next project. <laughs> <laughs> not going to work. <laughs> so so I, I, hats off to the Popeyes folks. I'm very
0: excited off. about Popeyes, Bill. Yeah. This is, this, I did not know this. I've been staying away from Popeyes purposely from a calorie standpoint lately, but my sons, who can afford the calories, certainly have not. So We'll tip them off. Yeah. I'm going to tip them off. Speaking of things to tip off on, I didn't know we were working on a U.S.-Kenya free trade agreement, but apparently we are, and apparently there's a potential deal with Kenya, which is raising eyebrows in Washington. Can you
2: explain this? Well, that's a legacy agreement from the administration of President Donald
1: J. Trump. Tariff man. I didn't interpret it as a full-fledged trade agreement. That's that's When you get into the language, it sounds very much like everything else we've been negotiating, which is principles, frameworks, setting up standards for cooperation on worker rights and the environment, digital trade. I didn't see anything in that announcement about market access.
2: Yeah, but the the talks were initially launched by Bob Lighthizer at the end of the Trump administration, but he was talking about basically a normal... Well, what had the, up to that point been a conventional free trade agreement and Bill's right, what the Biden administration is talking about is something that's much more like what they proposed to Asia and Latin American economies.
0: So how would a U.S.-Kenya FTA intersect with AF-CFTA, which well, I, I'm not even going to try to say what the actual words to that are. It's Africa something.
1: Africa It's Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement. Ah, uh, yes. there you go. Which everybody has signed, I think now, except Djibouti. I think there's, yeah. it's down to one, although not everybody is implementing at the well, same Well, tell pace. them to get
0: their booties moving. <laughs>
1: I think I'll just let that one pass. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he's asked a really good question, yes. how it fits in, because it's not only the AF, CFTA, or whatever it's, yeah, CFTA. There's also three or four separate customs unions within various parts of Africa, East, West, South, and customs unions have zero tariffs within them. It's hard to construct a single bilateral agreement, particularly with Kenya, which belongs to several of these things, because the principle of these other agreements is that if you're inside the tent, you get privileges. You can't give those same privileges to people outside the tent unless everybody participates. So I don't see how it fits in. That's been one of the stumbling blocks. Now, if, uh, for the Biden administration, since they're not talking about tariffs and not talking about market access, this may not be a problem.
2: Yes, it actually may work better than a conventional market access-oriented trade agreement. But to my mind, and I've, I've said this in past programs, the priority for African nations ought to be reducing barriers to internal Africa trade. So intra-African country trade faces way too many barriers. Those are the ones to clean up because part of Africa's difficulty growing economically is the difficulty of moving stuff from place to place. It's a huge, huge continent with relatively few internal improvements and relatively few major, say, rivers. So the Nile is important, of course. But in much of sub-Saharan Africa, there's nothing like the Mississippi or some internal waterway or transport system that allows goods to move conveniently. Then you have these national barriers to what tariffs or labeling requirements or any other kind of non-tariff barrier that restrict rates further. And so what happens is, unlike the United States, which because of the Commerce Clause operates as a single market, or Europe, which created a single market, Africa commercially doesn't have scale. You can't get scale in Africa until you get the countries themselves to trade more freely among each other. So it would be like trade barriers between Virginia and Maryland versus trade with, say, Maine. Trade Mm. with Maine's great, But what you'd really like is to reduce the barriers between Virginia and Maryland, if you were in Virginia.
0: Do Maryland and Virginia have a free trade agreement? They do. They (laughs) do. It's
2: called the Commerce Clause. Ah, It has to be something like that, right? One Section 8, yeah. It's the the power that the Congress has to regulate interstate commerce. There you go. And the way they've used that power. I'm still
0: stuck on the fact that Bill didn't know that Popeyes was from New Orleans. Don't you remember the old commercials? Dr. John was the voice, love that chicken at Popeyes. Do you remember that? No. He's got to get out more.
1: Really I'm I'm embarrassed at my cultural ignorance. Oh, what can I say?
0: I'm gonna have to take you there. And, you know,
1: I'm, you know, no, say I'm, I don't I'm really do it. I'm a, a, a
0: regular <laughs> customer. And I know you, you are.
2: You <laughs> today in that shirt.
0: Yeah, yeah. There you <laughs> go. Because the people at Popeyes know about the Piggly Wiggly because Piggly Wiggly is the greatest
2: is that, grocery store is that in the big South.
0: in New Orleans. There was. Yeah. It's it's more in Alabama though and Georgia
2: and right. So sort of. The rest of the south but it's a, it's a southern chain yeah, yeah but i do, do believe they have stores in louisiana
0: they do they do but the stores uptown in new orleans
2: and downtown winn dixie yeah yeah winn dixie's a florida chain so that they have a lot more stores in in the deep south than uh, the pickaway
0: yeah there you go well we've solved a lot today gentlemen um <laughs> i really appreciate your time i appreciate scott being here in person i appreciate us being in person We will have to
2: do this again soon. Hope so. I know the broadcast was coming up. You got it. To
0: our listeners, if you have a question for the Trade Guys, write us at tradeguys at csis.org. That's tradeguys at csis.org. We'll read some of your emails and have the Trade Guys react to it. You've been listening to The Trade Guys, a CSIS podcast.